I remember when. I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Okay, okay. I'm not going to sing to you about being crazy. I'm going to talk to you about being crazy. I've got some explaining to do. Let's get into it. People are going to be annoying and posting silly things on their social media like, check on your friends, especially during this month because it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Check on them. Listen, the last thing a person with um, a mental illness wants is 500 people calling them during the month of May. Because somebody said it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Hey, have you heard the joke about mental health awareness? There's no resources, just awareness. There's no holding people accountable for the lack of resources. Just reminders that people can have psychiatric illnesses. Or is it badum? Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> um, I am feeling today a little bit, uh, I feel good. I feel really good. I recently graduated. I know, hmm, you didn't even know I was in school. Actually, not school, but therapy. I recently graduated in therapy. I graduated from Oh, this bitch about to kill herself to improved to well to you only need to come here once a month, Ayana. Which is for me, it's it's kind of sad because I do really I love my therapist. She is one of the I don't there's just something about when you find a good therapist, a person who's good at helping you to break down all of the things that are going wrong in your head somebody who's able to redirect you, who's able to help you understand your emotions and your thoughts and figure out where where you go next, what do you do next, where do you go, how do you how do you proceed? And my therapist has been very good. Um I started regular therapy for the I want to say it was the this may have been the fifth time in my adulthood that I uh, initiated therapy. Uh, I started back when I was uh, 23 or 22, something like that. And it worked pretty well. But, you know, the thing about therapy, like I said, when you get better, you stop going. And I would get better and I would stop going. And then I would get work. Uh, I would... uh get worse again and then I would have to go back or I wouldn't go back at all because the thing about mental illness is that when it's really severe 
you don't reach out for anything. You don't reach out for medicine. You don't reach out for treatment. You don't reach out for therapy because you can't. And and for me in particular, I have um, PTSD and major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. When you're in a depressive episode, like depression is, is cycles, it's you're depressed, then you're better, then you're depressed, then you're better. But if you have long-term depression, like over some years, over some decades, it's called dysthymia and it's no longer depression. It's like, it's pervasive. It's pervasive depression. And I had that for the longest time until just now when I have been finally declared you know, it went from dysthymia to major depression to now I'm improved. So what do I do now? I continue to see my therapist and she continues to help me understand uh, some big feelings that I'm having, some big emotions I have. One of my biggest issues I have, and it's happening recently, is change, changes. When things change around me, I have a hard time adjusting. And I literally, I I will shut down, completely shut down. And some things that are happening right now, my children are growing up. You know, my son is graduating from high school and he's going on to college. My daughter is graduating from middle school and she'll be in high school. And the little people that I've had to take care of for so many years are turning into young adults and they're moving on into different phases of their lives. And the change has just, it, it's getting to me. It's getting to me. And having to adjust to circumstances like taking a kid to college or dealing with a young woman who's in high school when I haven't had to deal with that since I myself was in high school. So it's just, it's a lot of changes and I'm having a hard time adjusting. And so what I've been doing is just being very quiet, being very to myself, being very still, being very just listening to what's going on and what's happening and letting my children kind of guide me instead of me um, taking the reins. I'm letting them guide me on their journey because not that they don't need me anymore, but they don't need me as much as they did. And so I, uh, I am just letting them show me where they are going to go next. My daughter's going to get a job this summer and My son is going to be preparing to leave the nest. And listen, it's scary. It's scary for parents when your children grow up. You want them to. You want them to be independent. You want them to be, you know, mature. You want them to be mature. You need them to be mature because you can't take care of a child forever. You know, there are other exceptions, obviously, but 
You don't want to be taking care of your child forever if you can help it. <laughs> and so it's you have not the empty nest syndrome, but the what do I do with my time now syndrome? What do I do with myself now? Because so much of, for parents, so much of who we are is kind of built around the things that we have to do for our kids, the sports and the the school activities and the things that they're doing with friends and they're taking trips with with school and everything. And so we build our schedules around their schedules. And for me as a single mom, my God, I think I've been a single mom. Let's see. My son is 17. I've been a single mom for a long fucking time. Like, my God. Oh, when my kids were younger, when they were babies and when they were toddlers and in elementary school, I had help with them from my family. But even even then, it was still tough because I don't live close to my family. So I would have to, like, go to work and then drive all the way to my sister's house or my parents' house to pick up my kids after work and then go home. And by the time I got home, it was like seven o'clock or eight o'clock. And it, 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 there's a little bit of, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't so hard, but it was also hard in its own way. And now that they're bigger and they can do so many things for themselves, now that, you know, one is going to be going off to college, I'm looking at my life like, what are you going to do now, girl? Because I, I know I still have, I'm still going to have one in the house taking care of my daughter. But what, are, what am I going to do now? I'm going to have so much extra time on my hands. You know, my son plays football and I've been going to high school football games and he plays rugby. I've been going to rugby games. And what am I going to do now? I'm not going to have that. I'm going to have to try to make it to his college football games and it's just going to be harder. It's going to it's going to be hard. It's not going to be harder. It's going to be different. It's just going to be different. When I was in college, I wasn't I wasn't involved in sports, but I still I did a few things here and there, but I mostly worked. I worked two jobs and I took a full course load every semester. My family never came to to my school to visit me. There were siblings weekends and parents weekends, and I never saw my family ever until I went home. And I felt really, I didn't feel alone, but I felt like I didn't have, I, I, I don't know how to, do, to describe it. I felt like I was maybe an orphan while I was there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I could call my parents and be like, hey, I need some snacks. And and my mother would send me snacks and stuff. But nobody ever, nobody ever met my parents until graduation. And I don't want that for my son. I want people to know that my son has he has he has a sibling. He has a mother. He has, you know, a support system. So I'll be going back and forth, maybe as much as he wants me to. I don't want to be pushy either. When your kid goes off to college, you really want to be 
want to let them have their independence, but you also want them to know that you're a resource still for them. So there are all these changes going on around me. And this past weekend, I just kind of, I had a little bit of a, a meltdown completely. I just turned off everything and I put my phone on on do not disturb for the entire for 24 hours and I just kind of I was going to get up and go do some things but then it started raining like hard like thunderstorms and I just said forget it and I laid down in the bed and I watched tv and that's what I did that's what I did I mean I just I needed it and then today I went you know I got out of the house and I did what I usually do the grocery shopping and that's the other thing about about my life is that it's a lot of doing things to keep other things going, right? So there's a lot of shopping for the house. There's a lot of doing things for the house. Like when I came back home, I had to do the yard work. And and I know a lot of people say, well, why doesn't your son do any yard work? He's an ad. I do not trust my son with my power tools, with my machines. I do not. I'm sorry. He knows how to do it. He could do it, but I do not trust. Okay. The moment you let your kids use your things, a lot of parents can vouch for this. The moment you let your kids use your things is when they start to break down, is when they start to fall apart, is when something happens to it. Like right now, there's a very nice pair of scissors in my house that for some reason I decided these were going to be the house scissors. Those things have disappeared. They're the best pair of scissors. They're so sharp. They always stay so sharp and beautiful. Cut right through paper like it's, you know, like it's a bubble or something. One of my kids has made those scissors disappear. And see, it's the moment you start letting them use your things that they start to break down and or they, you know, they disappear and you don't find them for months and months and months. But so, yeah, so I do the 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 yard work and I get it done in an hour. The cleanup adds a little bit of time to it, but I love it. I love it. I love getting the workout. I know my son, he works out every day. And I just, I need to do this for myself. I don't know how to explain this to people. So if you don't understand it, then you don't understand it. That's on you. But I need the workout. I need to be out there doing this for myself because I am, you know, another part of having a mental illness is sometimes you don't want to do a fucking thing (laughs) or you want to do too much. You want to conquer everything. You want to do everything. Or you're impulsive or you're, you know, you're engaging in behavior that doesn't make sense. But for me, having depression and anxiety has, it really has made me not want to do stuff. And there are so many things that I've missed out on because I just literally could not get myself to it. I either didn't want to be around people. I didn't want people judging me or I didn't have the emotional energy to deal with being around people. Even at a grocery store, I used to have panic attacks before I went into a grocery store. And so now 
having gone through therapy and being properly medicated and getting good sleep and eating healthy and everything, things are a lot better. And I'm able to do more. I want to do more. And so I am doing more. So when I have energy to do things, I do them. And again, when people see me out there pushing the lawnmower and and with the, the garden trimmer, and they ask, you know, well, why isn't your son out here doing this? And I, I'd say it's because I don't want him to use my machines, which is the truth. But also, I need to do this. I need to do this. But you can't, ex- you can't say that to people in a way that they would understand it because a lot of people don't get mental illness. And this is, this is the one thing, I guess, that's good about having a mental health awareness month is that it, it makes these things visible, you know? There's such a stigma associated with just even having depression or even being grief stricken. Like grief is a is a mental disorder. It's a mental illness. Grief. When someone dies, someone you love dies, if it's a pet, a beloved pet or, you know, even a coworker who you were close to, a parent, a child, it's a mental disorder. But these months, they make mental illness visible but then I guess once the month is over then you're no longer visible or (laughs) what's what's happening but also um one thing I wanted to mention is that for people like me like okay I I say that I have depression and anxiety I don't ever say I'm depressed or I'm anxious because for me those labels don't describe what I'm feeling. And there are so many things that I'm feeling that saying I am depressed just doesn't do it. But people will take these labels and they will put them on themselves and they think, you know, and then they become that. They become the anxious person. I'm an I'm a worrier. I'm a neurodivergent. I'm I'm an empath. I'm I'm a depressed I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And the they adopt these labels and they become that. And it's, it, and these labels just get in the way. They get in the way of helping you to understand what's going on. If you, you're Googling what your symptoms are and it goes, okay, you have ADHD. But okay, fine. What do you do after that? You've made, you've, you've figured out what's wrong with you. But instead of getting help for it, you just become, you just say, oh, I have ADHD or, oh, this is my OCD. That's the one that people love to label themselves as. Oh, this is my OCD working. It's my OCD. It's my OCD. It's my Obsessive compulsive disorder is more than just you like to have the same color of something straightened on a shelf in order to be able to relax. OCD is something so much more. It's it's insidious. It's incredible how it just seeps into every part of your life to the point that you can't relax. But that's also ADHD. You're fidgeting, you're you're hyper, you're moving all around, you can't focus, you can't pay attention to one thing. Your mind is always wandering, your body wanders. It takes you a long time to get to a place because you say, if you have to go from A to B, you're going to stop at A.1, A.2, A.3, 
before you ever get to be. You're going to make all these stops along the way. And so when you label yourself, you're helping yourself to make sense of what's going on in your head, but you're also doing yourself a disservice because instead of getting help for what's going on, or you're watering down what's going on, maybe you have a bunch of different behaviors that you're doing and you're saying, oh, well, it's because I'm anxious. Oh, well, it's because I'm depressed. And instead of getting help for that, you just become whatever it is you say you are. So as I was saying a long, long time ago <laughs> about graduating in therapy, that was, a, that was a tough, a tough session when I, we had to talk about that. Um, I started this latest round of therapy in September of 2020. Yeah, almost two years. And it was during the pandemic, obviously. And I was having just a rough, absolute rough time. I mean, I was, it was just not, it was not good at all. And I was, I had suicidal ideations. I was sleeping a lot. I, um, I had no, I, it, everything just felt dark. I felt like there was something just sitting on my chest and I was crying all the time. And everything was just dark and gloomy and, and it was awful. It was terrible. And I, um, I went to see my old psychiatrist and I was in his office crying. And I, and I said, you know, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And he was just yelling at me like, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, this is the one that would say I had the problems of a modern woman. You're fine. You just need some therapy. Go talk to a therapist. But it wasn't just that. I mean, I was not sleeping at all. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't shut my brain off to sleep. And I was explaining this to him and he would just say, oh, you're fine. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. There are people with real problems, Ayana. There are people out there with real issues. You're not one of them. He was very good at telling me that I wasn't someone who was um, truly mentally ill because I got up every day and I went to work. And the only problem with me was that I was just unhappy. Okay, well, if you're unhappy with work, get another job. But it wasn't, I didn't know how to describe this to him in a way that helped him understand that I really was not functioning. I was just doing, I was just doing, you know, the rudimentary things. But I wasn't really present. I wasn't present at all. And his wife was the therapist in his office. And I had tried therapy with her twice before that time where he was yelling at me. <laughs> and I, I did not connect with her. I didn't connect with her at all. And trying to find a good therapist is like trying to find a good, a good spouse. It's very difficult. You could pick up anybody, you know, and run off and marry them. But are you going to be happy together? That's what choosing a therapist is like. And so I fired my psychiatrist at that session. I said, I'm never, I'm not coming back here. I'm literally dying. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm dying. I'm feeling like I'm not doing well. 
and I wasn't doing well. I wasn't doing well at work. I wasn't doing well at home. I wasn't doing well in my friendships. I wasn't doing well in my relationship. And I said, I'm not coming back here. I'm not doing it. And I found a new psychiatrist that day. And I found a new therapist that day. And when I started with my therapist, the first thing she did was, after listening to me, she gave me a a book recommendation. She said, I want you to read this book called Codependent No More. And I said, oh, shit. I don't want to read no fucking books. But I, I read some of it, okay? I'm not even going to shit you. I did not read the whole thing. I read some of it, but then I also listened to some of it because it's on audiobooks. Hey, it's on Audible. But I also listened to YouTube videos and I read some different works on codependency and how it leads to depression and anxiety. And I was like, wow, are you fucking kidding me? This is me. This is this is me. And I did a whole episode on codependency. So if you guys go back in the archives, I did an entire episode on codependency and um, how that ties in with narcissistic personality disorder. So I'm not going to rehash that here, but her telling me about that unlocked so much for me. It unlocked so much knowledge for me. So much of me trying to understand for years, not just that I was a child of trauma and an adult who had so, who had suffered multiple traumas, but that I was someone who was being made to feel like I had to be responsible for other people's shit. Like people would come and lay shit on me and I that you got to figure this out. You got to help me sort this out. You have to help me with this. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I was being pulled in so many different directions. And if I didn't comply, if I didn't contort myself to fit into these these boxes, if I didn't make myself look and act and think like how people wanted me to look and act and think like that, I, I would feel an emptiness, a sadness. You know, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that too because you feel like you can't fulfill people's needs you feel like you failed people you know there are times when I felt like I've completely failed my children and my children are you know healthy strong intelligent and they're you know they're fine but I know because of my depression that there were a lot of things that I missed with them and I feel a lot of guilt there's a lot of guilt that comes with that. But the thing about guilt is that you'll feel guilty and then you'll use that as an excuse to lampoon yourself, right? You'll use it as an excuse to hurt yourself. Oh, well, I'm a bad person and I've done bad things. I didn't show up for this and I didn't do this. So I'm going to hurt myself because this is what I deserve. You, 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 you put this weight on you and then you use it against yourself. <laughs> it's, it's like you're, you're torturing yourself. You torture yourself because you feel like you didn't do something right. But 
if you're like me, you couldn't have done everything right and you can't do everything right anyway. But to use the guilt that you feel to hurt yourself or even hurt other people, because, you know, the guilt, that's how guilt works. You'll use it against someone or you're, you'll use it against yourself. So my therapist, you know, telling me about codependency and me studying it and really trying to understand now, it doesn't mean that right away I got it, I picked up on it and I was cured. No, I mean, I really fought. I fought her on this so much because the way I grew up in my uh, family traditions and my Islamic traditions in my community, there are certain people who you show, you know, reverence to no matter what. And for me, those same people are people who hurt me as well as helped me. So I felt like I couldn't go against them. And as a Muslim woman, I, I love my religion. Love it, love it, love it. There were also these things, these roles, these traditions, these ideals that I felt that I had to conform to in order to be accepted, but not accepted by God, accepted by people. I thought, but, you know, you, you, you think that if you conform to what people's ideas of, of what your religious mind should be, that if they're okay with it, then that means God, it means God is okay with it because they're more religious than you or they're better at it than you. So if they are doing it better than you and if they approve of how you're doing it, then you're good, right? And so there were so many times when I would just seek the approval of other people all the time because that's how I was raised to believe that everyone else's opinion especially if they're, you know, in a position of power or a position of authority over me, their opinion mattered so much, so much, everything, uh, about everything, the food that I ate, the clothes that I wore, the car that I drove, the house that I lived in, um, the men that I was with, how I raised my kids, every opinion mattered to me and I would seek it and this was driving me crazy, you know? Does that make you crazy? That's the crazy. <laughs> and if you have a, you know, if you're, you know, when you're Muslim, all of your friends are Muslim too. So we're all just putting this pressure on each other to be good Muslims all the time. Do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it could just drive you. You could be driven completely insane by this. But it's it's that codependency that you you're involved in, that you're wrapped up in to the point that you can't see that you're living to please people or you're trying to control people. That's the other aspect of codependency. You're trying to control people to either make yourself feel good or to have, you know, some kind of stability in your life you think that you have to control control people and control circumstances in order to have stability in your life that's how you feel good about life is when you have control over things so 
I fought my therapist for the longest time on this because I'm like, no, you know, I, this is the way my life is supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. But part of it was that I suffered trauma early in my life, very early, like age four. And it just, it did not get, it, it, it didn't get better for me. And into adulthood, there was more trauma and more trauma and more trauma. And so there's trauma-related disorder, and then there's the codependency. There's the depression and the anxiety from the trauma, and then there's the depression and anxiety from the codependency. So I was getting it from two sides. And codependency is easier to unlearn and deal with than controlling depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder, the symptoms of those things. It's, it's just, it's been a really tough, tough, long journey. But one of the things that helped me so much was to get rid of the voices in my ears. Get rid of just people putting their opinions on me, laying their shit at my door, you know, Waking me, like Mary J. Blige said, no more waking me up in the morning with your disturbing phone calls. Leave me alone, go ahead. But yeah, being woken up with crazy phone calls or having people text me with crazy requests, people calling me while I'm working with crazy dumb shit, people showing up at my house just whenever they wanted to, people having access to my life whenever they wanted to. And yeah, there are people who think this is completely normal because they're family or because they've known you for a long time to just pop up, pop up, pop up. And you're just supposed to be responsive to them and, and answer to their needs. And it will drive you fucking crazy. It will drive you crazy. Because really, the only people you need to worry about, number one, is yourself. And you don't have to do a fucking thing for anybody except for you have minor children, you got to do something for them. Absolutely. But all these other people, fuck them. And learning that and realizing that and understanding that was so freeing for me. So free. Oh my gosh. When you realize that part of the reason why you're crazy is because you're being driven crazy by other people, the doors that that unlocks for you because you can just kick them people to the fucking curb. You absolutely can. Because guess what? They're not going to stop. They are not going to stop. Because first they would have to recognize that they are a problem for you. But if they're a problem for you, guess what? They are also a problem for themselves. And I should have said this at the top of my uh my podcast episode here is that a lot of people refuse to believe that there is anything wrong with them. Even as you're seeing their behavior and it's harmful and it's hurtful and it's abusive, there are people who refuse to believe that there is anything wrong with them. Now, not everything needs, you know, a psychiatrist and medication. Some things just need you to sit down and talk to a therapist about what's happening, about what happened, about yesterday. That's what therapists are good at. 
Therapists are good for talking about what happened yesterday and how you're not going to let it happen again when you walk out that door, when you walk out the therapist's door. I had a <laughs> my yearly physical the other day, and my doctor's talking to me about, you know, update me on what's been going on because I hadn't seen her since December. And she's like, update me on what's going on. And I'm talking about this. And I said, well, you know, I had a hard, a hard winter. Winter was very hard for me uh, emotionally and physically. I wasn't really moving as much as I, I usually did. I just didn't feel like it for some reason. This was like at the tail end of me finally, finally realizing what was going on with me mentally and the codependency and just letting go of all of this shit. This was just at the tail end of it. And so it was a very hard winter for me. And it culminated in February when I finally just fucking blew up. And I closed so many doors on so many people and so many things so that I could save myself and my mental health. So I'm once again trying to undo damage that I was doing to myself that entire time. But my doctor is like, you know, she's listening to me and she's like, Okay, well, you know, don't focus on yesterday. Don't focus on yesterday. Focus on the future. Look ahead. Think ahead. And you know what? She's right. That's another thing that can drive you crazy is thinking about what happened yesterday. And the therapist is very good with helping you sort that out. So that's fine. But if you're sitting and you're obsessing about it, it's one thing to talk about it and deal with it and move on. That's what you need to do. Because you you need to know how to proceed from where you are right now. And you can't proceed from where you are until you understand where you've been. How you got there and how you don't want to go back there. But there are times when I would just literally sit and obsess over, I was supposed to do this and I was supposed to do that and I was supposed to do that. And I, I, I didn't do this and... I didn't, you know, exercise this day and I didn't eat the best and I and just obsess over what I didn't do and what I thought I should have been doing. And my doctor's just like, you know, you can't you can't do anything about it. And she's right. I couldn't do anything about it. So why am I obsessing over it? So for that whole time that I was in therapy until about maybe. January of this year, January 2022, I was fighting my therapist on this codependency. Fighting, 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 fighting. And meanwhile, I was being driven crazy at the same time. People literally just with no fucking regard whatsoever. And (laughs) when I talk about it, I use an angry tone because it pisses me off. Because people will literally grind you down to bits and not give one fuck. And when you cut them off because you're tired of being driven crazy, when you cut them off, they will come at you combatively. They will harass you. They'll, you know, malign you. They'll talk shit about you to other people. And they'll, you know, accuse you of not ever being there. And you just have to let it, you just have to let that be. I mean, you can block them. You, you don't have to take their phone calls. When they come over, you don't have to let them in your home. You have to be firm 
and you have to be strong and you have to maintain your boundary. They will try to violate it. They will. Absolutely. And you have to maintain that fence, that wall that you say who gets to come in and when and why and how. And maybe these people never get to come back in. And that is fine. But they will blame you. But, but, and I've, I've told this to people before, having um, a false narrative of you is a small price to pay for ridding your life of toxic people. It is a small price to pay. Let them tell whatever story they want to tell. Let them spread whatever gossip they want to tell, whatever they need to, to say about why things are the way that they are now between the two of you. Who gives a fuck? That's what they like to do anyway. They like to gossip and spread lies and, and things. Let them. You can't control them. You don't even want to control them. You don't want to control anybody except for you. You are the only person. You are the only person that you should want to control. You are the only person that you should want to control. You cannot control anyone else. You should not be seeking to control anyone else either. You're not, uh, an, you're not a lord. You're not an oppressor, unless you are, in which case, you know, fuck you. But you should not want to control anyone. Control yourself. Control your body. Control your thoughts. Control your mind. Control your words. Control your actions. You do that, you will find that you don't have any time for anybody else. Like my space is so filled up with me trying to control this Ayana body. You know, making sure I eat healthy, making sure I pay my bills, making sure, you know, I'm clean and I smell good, making sure that I have enough you know, making sure the the oil in my car is changed, <laughs> making sure I wash clothes and go to my appointments and and take my routine medications, making sure I am happy with myself. With I'm making sure that I'm comfortable in my environment, making sure that I have activities to keep me busy. I mean, phew, that's a lot of shit. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. How are you going to do that for yourself and like six, seven, eight other people? You can't do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. If you're trying to, then you're allowing yourself to be driven crazy. If you're trying to, it is because you are codependent. You are codependent. Codependency leads to anxiety and depression. Period. Now, there's anxiety and depression outside of that, absolutely. But codependency in itself can cause depression and anxiety. The wonderful thing about depression and anxiety is that they can be controlled with medication, but they can also be controlled with therapy. 
and outside of that there's no there you need there's nothing outside of that you need it you need it you absolutely need it it's like codependency should have a 12-step program like the woman who wrote codependent no more the book did so in a setting of the being the child of an alcoholic and the advice was for family members especially children of dependent of of um substance abusers of alcoholics too yeah because children of alcoholics and drug abusers they become the the parents so to speak because you have to take care of your parent when they're passed out when they're high and then you have to take care of yourself because they can't take care of you you have to make your own breakfast your own dinner you have to help yourself with your homework and so when you get older you don't grow out of that habits you don't grow out of those habits and especially if you're dealing with a parent who has a lifelong addiction to alcohol and drugs you're probably still going to be taking care of them you're probably still going to be dealing with their abusive behaviors towards you they're still going to be calling you asking you for money or to come pick them up or to take them to the hospital or you have to go and take take them to the hospital or to a a, a clinic or you're having to take care of these people for the rest of your life because they put it on you. They put that shit on you. And then you feel guilty. Oh, but it's my mom. I have to take care of my mom. I have to take care of my dad. I have to take care of my grandpa or my uncle. This family. It's family. People use that family shit to make you do some of the absolute worst things. Or to make you do something that you don't want to do. Or to make you repetitively, repetitively engage in activities that you do not want to engage in. Just be honest. Just be honest. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with them. And you know what? Some people will be able to take it. Some people will be like, okay, I understand. I get it. You don't want to, you want to be free of this. But most people will be like, no, I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm your sister. I'm your brother. You have to let me in. You have to let me do this to you. You have to let me control you and abuse you. You have to let me into your life, into every aspect of it. How you raise your kids, your relationships how you spend your money, what you spend your money on. You have to let me in. And I'm here to tell you, if you do this, you will not have a happy life. You won't. You will have an unhappy, unhealthy life. If you want mental health, you want to be mentally healthy, one of the ways you get to be mentally healthy is to cut out of your life people who are not supportive of your efforts to be healthy. People who want you to maintain you're crazy or who tell you that you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. That's the other thing. People will tell you that there's nothing wrong with you. And you need to look at them and go, how the fuck would you know? 
And if they go, oh, it's because my neighbor's cousin's sister's friend had uh, what you say you have, and she was much more, she was crazy. They had to put her in a hospital. That's not you. You're not going to a hospital. But inside, you feel like you want to kill yourself. You're smiling, and you're having a good time, and you're at the party. But inside, it's just darkness. It's dark. It's echoing in there. It's like a freaking cave in there. And that's what people don't understand. Depression, anxiety, uh, trauma-related disorders, ADHD, uh, bipolar disorder, they all look different for everyone. All of these things look different for everyone. Just like addiction looks different for everyone. It all looks different. And you can't use one person to measure another. You cannot do that. But there will be people who will try to convince you that there's nothing wrong. You're fine. Or, you know, just take a trip. You'll be fine. Or just go get your hair done. You'll be fine. Get your nails done. You'll be fine. Go buy yourself a new outfit. You'll be fine. And there are people who will take, you know, the boxes and the bags that they got their new outfit and their new shoes in. They will take that shit, walk right up to a bridge, and jump the fuck over it. Things cannot cure a mental illness. Words cannot cure a mental illness. In fact, for many mental illnesses, there is no cure. There's no cure. They're treatable, but there's no cure. There are, you know, there's low-grade depression. There's adjustment disorder. There's grief disorder. These things are, can be temporary, but even when you're in them, even when you're in like an adjustment disorder, like you just lost your job and you're dealing with, you know, you have cancer, you might go into a depression and you might develop anxiety because of your health, because of your physical health related disorders. But even in that, you might still need medication and therapy. And then a year from, from then, you're fine. Everything is good. You don't need medicine anymore. You don't need therapy anymore. But most mental illnesses, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, they need ongoing treatment. You might have to take medication for the rest of your life. Like that was one of the things that I had to, to contend with, the, the notion, the idea that I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. Because my depression and anxiety isn't just from the codependency. It's from a, a lifelong life filled with trauma. One after the other, after the other, after the other. I mean, I, I used, when I was a kid, I was um, afraid of everything. Like I had so many irrational fears and irrational thoughts. It was, in, it was incredible. I used to be afraid to swallow food. I used to be afraid to go to sleep. I was afraid to get on elevators. I was afraid to get on escalators. I loved, loved roller coasters and horror films when I was six and seven years old. Because 
they it wasn't that they scared me it was that i felt nothing when i was when i was watching a horror movie i didn't feel anything when i was on a roller coaster i didn't feel scared i didn't feel trepidatious i didn't feel anything it was fun for me it was fun for me but then the little things i would just be so scared i had a, a fear of death i thought if i went to sleep i was going to die i um I used to do this thing when I had to, in order to feel comfortable in a setting, I would have to count the number of tiles on the floor, or I would have to count the number of bricks in a wall. But I needed to control my environment. I needed to feel comfortable. I couldn't relax. I had constant panic attacks. You know, I used to have diarrhea all the time because my stomach was so in in turmoil and I was just a kid just a little fucking kid man and so that's what I had been dealing with and I grew out of some of it you know I found some ways to because I I wasn't going to get medication and I wasn't going to get therapy not not where I grew up at no you weren't gonna I wasn't going to get any fucking medicine or or therapy so I had to find ways to channel my energy to get it out and so i i joined speech and debate and i was very good at it very very good but that's how i would get my and my my feelings out that's how i would get my feelings out that's how i would pull myself up out of my depression even even though i still had it you know i would come home from school and i would take 3 hour naps I would, there would be times when I would just sleep all the time. I would sleep all the fucking time. And I did this in college too, when I wasn't working or in class. I would just sleep because sleep, you know how people say they take depression naps. That's what I would do because that's how my brain was protecting me. My brain was protecting me from stress. My brain was protecting me from interacting with people when I didn't have the energy to do it. My brain was protecting me from feeling like I was being judged or feeling like I had to participate. I could just go to sleep and, and that would be my excuse. Oh, I was so tired. I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. My brain was protecting me. But not only that, you're so exhausted from having to pretend like everything is okay all the time that you're literal you're just tired you're just tired you're just tired of not being able to to say it so that people understand it of people not understanding what's going on with you of feeling like the weight of the world is on you of having to do so much just to fucking survive and live and you know i mean it's 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 a lot so some things they come and go and some things are with you for the long term and you might have to be on medicine for the rest of your life and this is the one thing that i've I've gone back and forth with my therapist about is medication. She believes that 
medication like SSRIs and, and other psychotropics should be, unless you have a psychotic disorder, they should be temporary. And especially the one that I take, I take a Fexer. And she believes very much that you should not have to be on a Fexer for your entire life. And I've talked to my psychiatrist about this. And, you know, she says, well, with your history and, you know, if you stopped taking this medication, you probably would would fall into depression again and you might do something drastic like commit suicide. And I mean, I don't if I had to take a pill for the rest of my life, fine. It doesn't bother me, but (laughs) my therapist is very much like, no, you should not be on medicine for the rest of your life. And maybe she's right. Maybe she's wrong. I don't know. But there was one particular therapy that because my depression and anxiety just seemed like it was not getting any better. Like I said, I was fighting with her for a long time about you know, about codependency and about doing the things necessary to get out of my mental illness, to to get out of bed, to shower, to, especially during the pandemic, I just was not taking care of myself very well. And I was fighting with her on, on what I should do. And she was just like, you know what, this is just, <laughs> she was just exasperated, exasperated. And one of the things she suggested to me that I should do, and she said that she suggests this to her other patients because she um, she worked with veterans who had PTSD. One of her treatment recommendations was is still transcranial magnetic stimulation. And it's a non-invasive treatment that uses magnetic fields to stimulate nerve cells in the brain. It's used to treat depression, OCD, PTSD, pain and substance use disorders, and other disorders. And it's particularly good for people who have not benefited from other treatments. Like, I wasn't benefiting from just taking medication. It wasn't helping. Even with the, the, the increase in, in my medicine... It worked for a minute and then I was being over-medicated and I could tell that I was being over-medicated and she could tell. And so I stepped down and I'm good. I'm fine. I'm better. But for a while there, she was just like, I don't know what, I don't know what to do for you. You're going to have to do this TMS because the medication is not helping. You know, the therapy isn't helping. And then finally something just fucking unlocked something just happened and I started to get better. Not that TMS at some point, maybe if I don't want to be on medicine for the rest of my life, maybe TMS. But if you're someone who has OCD or PTSD or pain disorder or substance use disorder, depression, anxiety, and you have health insurance, certainly consider TMS. There are TMS centers all over the country And um, there are a few side effects from what I've read, because I did research it because I was considering it at one point. But there are a few side effects. But one of the things it does is it completely 
I mean, it eliminates your your depression. It brings you out of your disorder. It brings you out of your mental disorder. I don't know how it does it, but it just the magnetic energy <laughs> enters the brain and and it's like you go every day. You go every day for this. And it's over the course of a few weeks, you go every day for these sessions that are like 40 to 60 minutes. And then that's it. Then they monitor, they monitor you. They, they talk to you. They interview you and you, you talk to your therapist. And it's, it, to me, it sounds, it's not, it doesn't sound strange because we know that the brain, the parts of the brain that sit in trauma that have these obsessive compulsive and ADHD and depression and anxiety disorders the brain is either overstimulated it's it's you know it's doing too much or with depression it's not doing enough or with trauma it's just completely depressed and the thing about a brain that sits in trauma like I had sat in trauma for decades. It causes brain damage and depression causes brain damage as well. It depends on how long you've had it. If you've been in depression for a while, for years, if you've sat in trauma for years and not dealt with it, not received treatment for it, the parts of your brain that are responsible for helping you to retain information to help you focus, to help you remember things, short-term, long-term memory, to help you um, recall information, to help you concentrate when you're reading. Mental disorders damage that part of your brain. And so you're going to have a hard time remembering things. And that was, for me, that was, whew, shit. I don't know how I made it through law school, frankly. That was probably one of the worst depression episodes I've had in my life was when I was in law school. I don't know how I survived it. I don't know how I made it out, uh, how I made it out, but I did. And I passed the bar the first time. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but I was on med I was on Effexor for a time when I was in law school, but I was so stupid because I thought, okay, I feel better. Now I don't have to take this anymore, right? And no, you have to keep taking your medicine, even if you you feel better. You're supposed to feel better. Duh, dummy. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you're reading something, you're reading a book and you just can't like this is one of the reasons why I don't read outside of work. I don't read books, rather. It's because I just can't fucking I can't concentrate. I can't focus long enough on a hundred, two hundred, three hundred page book. I need to be able to digest information very quickly. And so that's why, I mean, that's what I do at my job. I digest pages and pages and pages of information very quickly, but I'm able to get in and get out. That's why I'm so good at it, because I'm able to analyze so much information in a short amount of time, get in and get out and move on to something else. If I have to sit 
and digest something and really think about it and concentrate on it hard and focus. And you know how people say, oh, I'm in this book and I'm just really loving it. And there's all these characters and they can talk about the character development and they can remember lines that people have said. Like, have you ever been around people who can, they can literally, and I used to marvel at this with people, (laughs) they could, you know, spout off lines from movies, entire scenes from movies. And me having seen the same movie probably as many times as they did, I didn't remember a fucking thing. I mean, I could remember some little, uh, you know, funny line, but these are people reciting whole lines. Like people could read a book and they could tell you what happened in the book and they could, you know, they could watch a movie based on the book and they could be like, that didn't happen in the book. That didn't happen in the book. And I would just be like, huh? My ability to to retain information and concentrate that well is not good. It's just not good. And it's because of the depression and it's because of the trauma. Like I'd I'd only remember certain things and it's the bad stuff. Like there could have been all this good stuff happening around me, but I only remember that traumatic thing that happened. That's how blinding it is. It's like you're looking into um, someone's very bright headlights you can't see anything around you you can only see that light that blaring blazing light in your eyes that's what trauma is like all you see is that and you could be at a party and the party is happening around you if something bad happens to you at that party that's all you're going to remember And a lot of my life has been like that. So a lot of my therapy has been trying to help me remember things that happened that were good and highlight those moments, but to also help me understand how to just relax, pay attention, focus, concentrate, maintain attention, remember, retain information. It's just those little things that people take for granted that I'm trying to repair in my brain. My ability to to be able to sit here and do this podcast is because my therapist helped me to get from just being able to do the rudimentary, the little piddly things every day to breaking, to building me up to be able to do something big with my time from just doing the little tasks every day to doing something big. And it was a bunch of different steps, you know? It wasn't just like, okay, you're going to go out there after this, you're going to be able to go out there and conquer the world. But no, it was just her building me back up and showing me how to deal with the world a little bit at a time, having me deal with something one thing at a time, not try to deal with everything that's happening tomorrow or two weeks later or three weeks later at one time, you know, before it's happened. If something was happening two weeks from now, 
I would be worrying about it and thinking about it and trying to figure out how to get through it right now. And that was one of the things that I I had to learn was that you don't deal with things until they are happening. You can't prepare yourself for whatever is going to come by worrying about the thing before it it has happened. Like say for instance, then this was my problem for the longest time. <sighs> if I had an appointment on a Tuesday, Sunday night and Monday, I would be sick with anxiety over it. I would be, I would wake up in the middle of the night and pull my hair out. I would just be pulling my hair out with just worry, worry, worry over it. And it could be any appointment. It could have been a doctor appointment. It could have been um, an, uh, an activity that I had volunteered to do the next day. It was anything. It was anything. And I didn't even know what I would be worried about. And then afterwards, I would feel so relieved. And it's like, why? It's just, you know, people go to the dentist every fucking day. (laughs) People go, you know, see their doctor every day. What are you doing? People, you know, if you got to go talk to your 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 kid's teacher, people do that all the time. You got to do this. You got to do that. It would just be me completely stressing myself out over this, worrying to the point that I'm pulling my hair out. And I would wake up and there would be piles of my hair on the floor near my bed. And then I would go to my appointment. Just my stomach would be in tatters. And then when I got into the appointment, I could sit down and relax. And it's like, what the fuck am I, what am I doing? I couldn't even do, I couldn't do these things. I couldn't do these things. And so I had to learn how to go from doing little stuff to doing a little bit bigger stuff and then a little bit bigger and then a little bit bigger until finally I could do something big for myself. You know, just being able to take a trip by myself, just go out of town, do something, go anywhere, do any type of activity. I had to learn how to do that. You know, you're born with a clean slate, completely clean. No, no good deeds, no bad deeds, no nothing. But you have complete confidence and you have no fear. People strip away your confidence over your childhood and in your adult life, too. People strip it away. People teach you what to fear and show you what you have to be afraid of, what you can trust and what you can't trust. And so the world around you, the people around you become either what you fear or what you trust. And the people around you are the ones who are either helping you to maintain your confidence or they're stripping it from you. And so 
who I am is someone who's trying to, is a person who has absolutely no confidence, who's just the remainder of a once confident little girl who, at the age of four, was completely stripped of my dignity and my confidence and my trust, who was not reaffirmed at all by anyone around me, who was just completely abused and mistreated for years and years. And so who I am now is someone who is in recovery. I'm in recovery. I'm trying to, this is, I'm the leftover. I'm trying to not go back to that person who was sitting in trauma, who was depressed, who was anxious and pulling her hair out. I haven't done that in a long time. It's been a long time because I don't worry about something that's happening tomorrow. I don't even think about it. I don't think about something that's happening tomorrow. When I'm in it tomorrow, I might think about it five minutes before. But 24 hours before, no. 12 hours, no. I might have an important phone call at 1.30 or 10 o'clock. Okay. If it's at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, catch me at 12.55 p.m. <laughs> I am not preparing. I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to answer the phone and we'll just start talking. I don't get I don't get um weighted down with worry anymore. I'm not putting that stress on my body. I'm not holding stress anywhere in my body, not holding it in my shoulders, not holding it in my face. I'm not doing it. And I I felt a little I want to say a tiny bit of stress going into this episode because I was trying to write out a script about talking about Mental Health Awareness Month. And I'm and then I finally sat down. I was like, bitch, you are the script. <laughs> like, girl, you are the damn script. What are you talking about? But what's funny is that, you know, I didn't get the phone calls of the how are you? How are you doing? With one exception, Victoria calls me um, and we talk a lot. And, you know, she asks me how I'm doing my my BFF, Victoria. I have two BFFs, Zakia. I love very dearly. I've known her for 17 years, 18 years almost. And Victoria whom, believe it or not, Victoria and I have not met in person. We met through a mutual friend over Facebook, and we just became friends. And then one day she was like, hey, you want to become accountability partners on the, 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 the um, Apple Watch in our workouts? I was like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> and we went from being accountability partners to, bitch, did you work out today? No. Okay, me either. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we used to do competitions. Now it's just like, girl, get off your ass and go work out. 
But I love them. I love them both. I love Zakia so much, so very much. And I love Victoria so very much. These are two people who will call me and check on me and ask me how I'm doing. They won't ask anything from me. Not at all. And I'll do the same for them. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? They're both moms. How are the kids doing? You know, how's how how was school for the kids? How's your schedule? Blah, blah, blah. We don't ask anything from each other. We're just like, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How's life? You just want to talk and we'll sit and talk for hours and laugh at just dumb shit. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's Mental Health Awareness Month and I ain't getting that one phone call. Now, y'all know my ass needs phone calls checking up on. No, I don't really. Please do not check up on me. I'm not going to answer the phone. <laughs> I don't need anybody checking up on me because I have graduated to improved. It's so funny. My son, I asked my son if he listened to my podcast months ago and he was like, mm, I don't want to hear all of the stuff that went on in your childhood. <laughs> I'm like, damn, yikes. You don't even want to hear the part when I was pregnant with you and all the things that, no, he doesn't want to hear any of that. That's fine. He doesn't need to hear this stuff. I mean, they're, they, they see me. They know how I am. I don't hide anything from my kids. I hide nothing from them because when you hide it from them, then they, they don't understand. You have to explain to them what's going on. You have to. They're smart. Kids are smart. They know a lot of fucking things. Shoot. I talked to my daughter. She's 14 years old. That girl knows a lot of stuff about human behavior and about, you know, equality between the sexes and women's rights and equal it's just incredible and my son he's you know you can't pull one over on this kid he's very cool very laid back i want to say he's almost aloof but at the same time he's calculating he's he's making moves for himself he's making plans for himself he's always got something going on but but these are the people that I've I've raised, these humans that I've raised. And I'm glad to say that when I send them out into society, they are going to be, inshallah, a benefit to society. They are not going to be a burden on society. They are not going to be people who are committing crimes and doing dumb shit. No, they're going to be people who are going to be a benefit to society. And that's what you want your kids to be. You want them to be productive members of society. But also, you don't want them to have the same problems that you had growing up. And I don't want my children to have depression and anxiety. I don't want them to have trauma-related disorder. I don't want them to have, you know, any of the kind of things that I dealt with when I was their age. Because it was just, was torturous. It was torturous. And nobody should have to go through that. Nobody should have to deal with that. So I've, I've tried to protect them as much as I can from anything that would induce that, even though the pandemic certainly sent, you know, it, it, it did cause a bit of depression in my daughter. And I'm still kind of dealing with that. But life is just unpredictable. And you have to adjust. And sometimes you can adjust. And uh, so that's that. So, 
Yeah, it's mental health awareness. And hopefully you all, if you're feeling a certain way, and you know what I mean, if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling this pervasive sadness that you can't get over, or you're feeling like you have symptoms of something, talk to a professional. Please, please do not suffer in silence. Don't do it. Do not do it because you will be suffering. Even if you put a smile on your face and you put on a a nice clean outfit and you, you know, do your hair or for women, you do your makeup or whatever, get your nails done. You can still be depressed. You can still be, you know, there can still be something wrong with you that isn't showing. And there are plenty of people who are killing it in every facet of their lives in every facet of their life, in their career, at school. There are people who are just acing everything at the top of their game, achieving all kinds of good things, and they commit suicide. They die from suicide. There are actors and singers, people who are at the top of their game, and they commit suicide. Because it's not just, it's not what you see. It's oftentimes what you do not see. And that's what you need to get help for. The thing that people don't see. The thing that only you know about. The thing that only you know about. So if you're feeling like you need help, there are so many treatment modalities. There's so many. So many. And accessing a therapist nowadays has become easier than ever with all of these therapy apps. You could have telemedicine. You don't have to go into an office. You can have telemedicine. But one thing you need to do is to be honest with the therapist. This is one, one place where people get messed up is because they're not honest with their therapist. Tell your therapist everything that you do. Tell them everything because they can't help you if they only know half of who you are. Tell them every fucking thing. They're not judging you. And even if they are, so what? They're judging you to help you. And if you feel like you're not jibing, you're not vibing with your therapist, get another one. There are thousands thousands of therapists you don't have to stick with the one who doesn't make you feel um not that they should make you feel good but someone who isn't helping you someone who isn't speaking to you the way you think a therapist should speak to you someone who isn't giving you the proper tools to climb out of your mental illness to achieve stability in your mental illness, in your symptoms. It's the same with a doctor. If you're seeing a doctor, even a psychiatrist, who is not treating you properly, who isn't giving you, um, who isn't uh, prescribing the correct medication, who isn't listening to your needs, fire them. This is your health, your health, your health. You have to be more concerned with your health than you are with hurting people's feelings. And that's going to be the tagline for today's show. 
You have to be more concerned with your health than hurting people's feelings. And that will help you get out of codependency. That would help you get out of bad relationships, <laughs> bad friendships, bad uh, work relationships. You have to be more concerned with your health than you are with hurting people's feelings. People are in charge of their own feelings and they're going to feel how they want to about what you do or what you say or about how you need to protect yourself or about how you need to move on. They are going to feel how they want. You have no control over that. All you can control is yourself and you need to do it now. You need to get the help that you need. And if someone isn't helping you, fire them and move on to someone else. And if someone is hurting you, get rid of them. Don't kill them. (laughs) No, not like that. Not like, you know, you're pulling out the thousand ways to kill a nigga. No, (laughs) you're not. No. Close the door to them is what I mean to say. Close the door to them. Now, keep in mind, they're going to try to come back and they're going to try to find ways back into your life. Keep the door closed. Don't feel sorry for people. You're not an angel, okay? You're not. I know you probably think you are, but you are not an angel sent by God to help a motherfucker. No, you are not. You don't have to do anything for anyone but yourself. And hopefully what you're doing for yourself is not hurting yourself. And please, again, if you need help, I know it can be hard sometimes to reach out. There are times where you could be so depressed or so your brain is just whizzing, blah, 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 blah. Your thoughts are moving so fast that you can't sit down to figure out how to ask someone for help or to get a phone number to call somebody for help. For me, my health insurance, I called, you know, the whatever helpline they have. They'll refer you to uh, a doctor. They'll refer you for tests. They'll tell you the lowest price to go, the low, you know, where to go for the lowest price on this test and that test and all of that. They'll, they'll help you get medications that are affordable and formularies that are affordable. Also, um, your doctor, your primary care doctor can refer you. And where I live at, we have these two big hospital machines. And if you call one of their help desk numbers, they will refer you to a doctor. And a doctor can refer you to a therapist. Or you can Google therapists near me, therapists in my area. And names will pop up. I know during the during the height of the pandemic, there were wait lists, just wait lists, because everybody was having a hard time. But I feel like things have maybe cooled down a bit. And if you were looking for a therapist in the past, please do go look for a therapist now. Um, when I started my therapy back in 2020, I was once a week, and then I was every two weeks, and now I'm up to once a month. And I feel like that is, that's good for me. That's, that's progress. That's wonderful. That's nice. But you do what is best for you. 
and in conjunction with your doctor recommendations and your therapist recommendations. But please be honest with these people. Tell them everything that you're feeling, everything that's going on, and do not allow your needs and concerns to be dismissed. And if you feel like they are being dismissed, move on to someone else. Move on to someone else. Don't allow yourself to be over-medicated or under-medicated or underestimated. Do what is best for you, but do something for yourself. Do something for yourself to ensure your mental health and mental wellness because it is wealth. It is absolutely enriching and rich and wonderful when you are back to health. And this has been Ayana Explains It All, brought to you by facts, figures, and enlightenment. Take care.